in the past few years, it's become more and more apparent uh, that while technology has certainly been a really good thing, there have also been a lot of unintended uh, negative consequences. It's what some people call the adverse effects of technology. For example, while technology uh, helps us to be more efficient, we're also, because of technology, easily distracted and often uh, less productive. Uh, technology also has the ability to uh, bring us together instantly. Technology can connect us. I mean, oftentimes I find myself, you know, shooting off an email, replying back to a text, replying to a Facebook message, and then it's the same person. I'm <laughs> talking to the same person. I'm so connected. But this virtual connection, uh, you know, th this, this ability for technology to connect us to everyone at any time um, has also resulted in people being more lonely than ever before. Uh, the UK earlier this year just appointed uh, a minister of loneliness. Okay, and by minister, I don't mean a pastor, okay? It's not a pastor of loneliness. Uh, pastors are always pastors of loneliness. But a minister of lon loneliness, as, as in a high-ranking government official. And for our, I think, purposes here in today's text, technology promises to make work easier, right? That's the promise. If you just have this, you can get through work easier. You can get through your day quicker. Technology promises us to free us up to do the things that we want, but instead, technology has often not made us free, but a slave. A slave to our work, a slave to our studies, often blurring the line between work and rest. If you've been following us in our series in Exodus, you'll know a few things. You'll know that number one, God, he wasn't oblivious to the people's situation. Uh, Exodus 2 at the end tells us that God, he knew, he saw, he heard, and he remembered. God knew the afflictions of the people. And you'll also know that God, in Exodus, he was committed to bringing his people out of Egypt. He said, I have promised to bring you out, and I'm committed to bringing you into the promised land. However, what we didn't know until now, or until God called Moses, was the motive. In other words, we didn't know until now what was fueling this whole rescue plan. And today's text reveals that to us. You know, when Moses appears before Pharaoh, when Moses, this, this, this man, this 80-year-old man, appears before, you know, the highest, most powerful man in all of the earth at that point, and he demands to let the Israelites go, he doesn't say, Pharaoh, you need to let the Israelites go because God, he promised a land for them. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, Pharaoh, you have been such an oppressive leader and because God, he cares for his people, he loves his people, he has tender mercy on his people, that's why you have to let them go because he cares for them. Now, if you look at today's text, Moses makes clear the reason why, what, why God, he is motivated to go through with this. He says, let the people go so that they may hold a feast for God. Let the people go so that they may sacrifice to him. In other words, Moses says, let God's people go so that they may worship him. 
You know, God's goal in Exodus is not liberation. God's goal isn't a rescue. It's not a new land. God's goal is not so that the people of Israel can be their own republic, be their own sovereign nation. God's goal is not so that he can settle Israel down. But it was always about worship. It was about God revealing himself to his people as their creator and their redeemer. Friends, oftentimes I think this is misunderstood, but the gospel, the goal of the gospel is not a location. Jesus' goal in dying and rising again is not so that we can be in heaven. The ultimate goal of Christ and his work is not a location, but it's union. In other words, it's a relationship. It's for us to be united with him, to be one with Jesus. You see, if you think about it, why is heaven heaven? Heaven is heaven because God is there. That's why it's heaven. That's why when Jesus actually comes on earth, what does he announce? He says the kingdom of God is here. Why? Because the king arrived. You see, we, Exodus makes clear, the gospel makes clear that the end goal is not a location. It's not for God's people to be uprooted out of a certain place and to be planted in another location. No, the goal of God's redemption is union, is relationship. So that, you know, the wilderness, which the Israelites would later on go on to experience, the wilderness is in every way heavenly as the promised land, because God was with them. But at this, I want you to notice what Pharaoh says. When Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let the people go so that they may worship God, this is what Pharaoh says. He says, why do you take them away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Pharaoh says, why are you taking them away from work? You're talking about worship? They need to work. And then Pharaoh goes on to add more work to the people. He tells his taskmasters who are overseeing this this entire slavery project, he says, no longer give them supplies to do their daily work, but don't reduce their quota. They have to produce the same amount of bricks. And Pharaoh's reasoning is this. It comes out in verses 8 and 9. He says this. They're idle. They're idle. It's because they have too much time. It's because they're bored. This is the reason why they're crying out. This is why they want to go and worship. Let heavier work be laid on the men so that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. In other words, Pharaoh is saying, listen, they're doing nothing. They're doing nothing. And it's because they have so much time on their hands that they're thinking about religion, they're thinking about God, they're thinking about worship. And Pharaoh says, we need to end this right now. He says, give them more work to do. Keep distracting them. Keep making them busy so they won't think about such things. You know, if you recall, Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh isn't just an oppressive leader. 
At the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh is introduced as one who is directly at odds with God. Pharaoh isn't just some supervillain, but we see that Pharaoh is one who is at odds with God. When God is seeking that his people worship him, Pharaoh is doing the very opposite. He is overloading them with work. He is keeping them distracted. You know, it's well documented that uh, during the uh, Atlantic slave trade, when millions of African slaves were taken from their homes and transported to Europe and to the Americas, uh, that the men who were beneath uh, the deck, who were uh, these slaves who were being transported, they were forced to dance. They were forced to dance. And the reason why they were forced to dance was to keep them exercised, to keep them fit, and also to curb rebellion. It was the European way of exhausting the people so that they would forget their fortune, so that they would forget what just happened and where they are going. This is what Pharaoh says, Exodus um, 5, 17, 18. You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. And Pharaoh says, go now and work. 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 You know why you're thinking about worship? It's because you have just too much time. You need to become more busy. You need to become distracted. You need to fill your schedules. You know, these words are um, words from an ancient figure. But the message, I think, is such a familiar one. It's a contemporary one. This message, you're not useful. You need to produce more. You think about God because you just have all this free time. I mean, how many times have we heard the words of Pharaoh, right? Worship God? Come on, you have so much to do. Serve God? There's so much of your own stuff to do. You need to take care of so many things. What are you talking about? Worship God? Fellowship with God in prayer? I mean, what good is that? You have so much studying to do. You know, this is uh, quite embarrassing, but every time, um, every time I know that I need to pray, every time I know that I need to pray, but I also feel like I have so much to do, right? And when these two things are conflicting, like, ah, I need to pray, but I have this urge that I need to be productive as well. Do you know what I do? I read a book on prayer. <laughs> it is, I, that is my compromise. I cannot tell you how many books on prayer I've read. I've read about prayer to actually substitute actual prayer because I wanted to work and I wanted to be productive. You know, it is an alluring and enticing message. You need to work more. You need to produce more. And the worship of God is a waste of time. You know, I want to be clear at this point. You know, God in Exodus, God, he wasn't bringing his people out of Egypt so that he can have them retire. Okay? Uh, the promised land, uh, it, it wasn't a retirement home, okay? The promised land wasn't Florida. 
God wasn't bringing his people out so that they would no longer work. No, that's not what God was after. He wasn't freeing them from work. But what God was doing was he was liberating them from the oppression of work, thinking that work is the be-all and the end-all. And God, through this deliverance, by bringing his people out of Egypt so that they may worship him, God, he was teaching his people the purpose in life. He was teaching them why he had created them in the very beginning. He was teaching them the only way that they as human beings can be fully satisfied in life. And it wasn't through worship, but it was through the worship. It wasn't through work, but it was through the worship of the living God. I mean, you think about it, right? This is why God created us. I mean, you think back to the creation story in Genesis 1. Why do you think God made the Sabbath a resting day? Right? I mean, do you think in the very beginning, I mean, God, who's being, who is eternal, needed a day to rest? Why do you think God set aside a day to rest? Is it because he needed it? No, he rested so that all of creation would rest with him and come and worship so that six days our heads and our eyes and our hearts are on this earth doing what we have been called to do, but on that one day, that day of rest, we look up and we remember that this world isn't everything. You know, honestly, if we ask ourselves, if we actually bought into this message, I think many of us would say yes that sometimes we consider time with God to be wasted time. And we find that the Israelites, unfortunately, they've bought into this. You know, when Moses first comes, um, when Moses first comes at the end of uh, Exodus 4 and the beginning of Exodus 5, he meets with the elders and they are excited. They're saying, you have heard from God? Who is this God? And he says, oh, he's, he, he's the God of, of our fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they say, yes, yes, let's, let's do this. And they're all excited, and they actually go to Pharaoh together. But when Pharaoh puts more work on them, and he says, no, 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 no. It's because you're idle. It's because you have too much time. You need to work, 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 work. After, they're, they're, after this heavy burden is put upon them, Moses, he goes back to the people. But then it tells us 6-9 that they don't listen to him because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery. Friends, this is what the world is seeking to do. This is the voice of Pharaoh. This is the voice of Satan in today's world. Continue to keep yourself busy. Continue to go, 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 go so you won't think about God. You know, remember um, George Orwell's um, chilling novel, uh, 1984? He writes about this uh, totalitarian government that takes over. Um, he's, he's, uh, the setting is in Great Britain. And it's this government that comes in, and everyone is oppressed. They are told what to think, how to think, what to do, how to live. And there's always that big brother standing there saying, and then there's a sign, big brother is watching you. There are video cameras all over the place and the people, they're broken in spirit. 
they're broken in spirit because of the harsh slavery. You know, I want to be clear uh, today with our congregation. You know, I'm not saying that work is a bad thing. No, certainly work is a good thing. God has created us to be able-bodied men and women who can produce. Being productive is a good thing. That's what life is. Life is always giving, growing, producing. But I'm warning the congregation, today's text is warning the congregation of using work to distract us from the more important things. That is what we must be careful of. Scripture makes clear that we don't find our meaning in work or play. We don't find our purpose in our titles and what we do, our professions. Scripture makes clear that we find our meaning, our purpose, in the worship of the true and living God. You know, there's this book that I want to recommend to you. Um, It's written by uh, Blaise Pascal. Um, French philosopher, and uh, it's a book, it's a collected, uh, it's a work that uh, collects uh, a lot of his uh, writings. It's a book called Thoughts. I recommend it to you. Please, you know, go out and read it. It's, you can probably find it on PDF somewhere. Um, And and that's not a substitute for prayer, though, okay? So read the book. Uh, But in his book, uh, 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 Blaise Pascal, he talks a lot about distraction. And he says this, you know, there are within man, uh, within all of us, there are two conflicting uh, instincts within all of us, okay? One instinct is this desire of wanting to be distracted, okay? Pascal says, we are, in fact, addicted to uh, distraction. And he says, the reason why we are addicted to distraction is because deep down inside, We don't want to be alone in our own thoughts. Pascal says, we love distraction because we are afraid when we are alone of the things that we might hear. We are afraid that our lonely, obscure existence will catch up to us, and then we will have to face the reality of our mortality. He says this at one point. uh, It's directed towards young people, but I think it's relevant for all of us. He says this, the young are preoccupied with bustle, distractions, and plans for the future. But take away their distractions, and you will see them wither from boredom. Then they feel their hollowness without understanding it, because it is indeed depressing to be in a state of unbearable sadness as soon as you are reduced to contemplating yourself. And without distraction, from doing so. See, Pascal is saying distraction, work, entertainment, these are all ploys. These are all ways of avoiding the tough questions in life. Keeping busy is our way of deceiving ourselves that our life has meaning. It's our way of avoiding the tougher questions. It's our way of avoiding our inevitable end, our death. I mean, we do that all the time. I do that all the time. Filling up my schedule, filling up my calendar so that I feel like I'm doing something, so that I don't have to be alone, so that I don't have to face the tough questions. Avoiding boredom, because sometimes it stares at you. It stares into your soul. 
and you're afraid of what you're going to see, you're afraid of what you're going to hear. But Pascal says there's a second instinct in us that's competing with this. He says it's buried deep within us because of sin, but it's still present. And he said there's this instinct in us that recalls our life back in Eden, that recalls what life was like when God had first created man. And this instinct is telling us, in quotes, that the only true happiness lies in rest. The only true happiness lies in worship. Douglas Gruthius says this, diversion consoles us in trivial ways, in the face of our miseries or perplexities. Yet paradoxically, it becomes the worst of our miseries because it hinders us from ruminating on and understanding our true condition. Friends, on this morning, this Sunday morning, I encourage you to do this. As you rest from your work, as you stop, and I'm sure even now, you know, there are distracting thoughts, but I encourage you to rest, to look up, and to find meaning. To remember your creator, to remember your redeemer. Be still before your maker and fellowship with your redeemer this morning. Now, I just want to share a story uh, before uh, we close. But um, this happened uh, a few months ago. Um, for those of you who know, we have a refugee, uh, we have, um, a refugee committee, and we are currently um, helping uh, resettle uh, to refugee families. And a couple of months ago, the committee got together with, you know, with both families, and we had a great meal, and we sat down, and we asked them, is there anything that you want us to know? Is there anything that you want to ask from us? If there's anything that you need, let us know now. And I remember one of the refugee sisters said this. She said, you know, when we first started working, uh, we were promised that uh, we would not work uh, on Sunday. Now, I'm not sure if that was actually promised or not. Uh, I'm sure there might have been some miscommunication, but I think uh, that was their understanding. And they said, you know, they're, they're in the hospitality business, and weekends are so hard to avoid. But the sister said this, you know, when I work on Sundays, and I don't worship, and I don't pray to God, and I don't gather, life that week is so, so difficult. You know, and me being, you know, the practical, you know, New Yorker, you know, thinking, ah, you know, that's, that's what life is in the hospitality business, you know. Some weeks you get off, some weeks you don't. You know, I'm thinking, you know, they just settled here. You know, they, they need to settle down. They need to work. They need to work. But the sister actually got it. She knew that she was made not for work but she was made for her creator to worship. And for us who've always been in the hustle and bustle of things, going about our lives, just trying to get through the next thing, finish the next thing, you know, go, go to our next meeting, our next calendar agenda, 
working and working and keeping ourselves busy. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning to just rest, face your mortality, see yourself, your sinful self, for who you are, for who I am. Let's come face to face with our sinfulness and once again look up to our Creator and our Redeemer. Know that we have been made for worship, not for work. And so would you do that this morning? Join me in prayer at this time.